This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 110. I'm Ben Stanfield, your regular TSP host at Ben Stanners on Twitter. Firstly, and most importantly, I hope you and your family are keeping safe and well. I suppose each day that passes is a day near a normality returning for all of us, whatever that may eventually look like. There's still no football on the pitch, but Saints have been busy off of it, in particular the players. Initially, there was the social media announcement via many of the senior squad confirming their involvement in the Players Together campaign across the Premier League clubs. This will see the NHSCT, which stands for NHS Charities Together, getting financial support from the players to help generate and distribute money where it's most needed and as quickly as possible to support the NHS and this ongoing battle against COVID-19. Very much hats off to all the Premier League players involved in that initiative. Then Saints as a club stepped up to the plate as well, becoming the first Premier League club to announce a collective deferring of some of their wages to protect the future of the club and the staff that work within it. A truly saintly announcement provided via the following club statement. Southampton Football Club has agreed to put in place the following measures as part of its ongoing response to the coronavirus pandemic. In keeping with government advice, all activity at Staplewood Campus, St Mary's Stadium and other sites continue to be suspended except for essential activities. This situation will be reviewed at the end of April. In addition, the board of directors, the first team manager, his coaching staff and the first team squad have agreed to defer part of their salaries for the months of April, May and June to help protect the future of the club, the staff that work within it and the community we serve. Furthermore, the club can confirm that it will not use the government's job retention scheme during April, May and June. Our owners, Mr Gow and Katerina Lieber, have put measures in place to ensure that all staff not deferring part of their salaries will continue to receive 100% of their pay, paid in the normal way until the 30th of June. Any decision on the future beyond this date will be made in advance of this, but only when information is more known. 
In these unprecedented times, we are dealing with many challenges to our business model and day-to-day operations. The situation is ever-evolving, and we will continue to monitor and assess the impacts of the club over the coming weeks before deciding any further action necessary. Everyone at the club remains fully committed to the community we value so highly in Southampton. We will continue to offer our full support to the city of Southampton through the work of the Saints Foundation and provide any further assistance we can. We ask everyone connected to the club and the city of Southampton to listen and adhere to the government's advice. Meanwhile, we will continue to prepare our club for return to the pitch and make sure that when safe, we are ready to play and serve the people of Southampton again. Until then, we march on together. Fantastic work from everyone at Saints, I think we'll agree, and deserving of all the fan and media praise which has since gone in their direction. That's the real Southampton way right there. Okay, on with this week's podcast. I think and hope it's a good one. We catch up with a former striker who helped Saints beat, clue there, many opposition sides during the noughties. This Total Recall is brought to you in partnership with Saints World, who I must thank for sorting out the chat. If you don't already know, Saints World was set up to allow Saints fans to hear and promote charities like the Foundation, as well as others like the Knights Foundation, which member Nikki Banger is head of. It also encourages chat in a friendly environment about Saints-related issues. It's an interactive extension of the website. The website you can find, which is chock full of Saints stuff, is saintsworld.co.uk. Robbie, Shao and Aaron do a great job, along with a variety of contributors. So if you haven't visited it yet, or don't follow them on social media, make sure you do. You can find them again, their website, www.saintsworld.co.uk. On Facebook, just look for Saints World. And on Twitter, you can follow them at Saints World FC. That's Saints World Foxtrot Charlie. So let's get on with it. Sponsored by Happy Hot Tubs. This is TSP 110 Total Recall. I'd really love a hot tub, but I don't know where to start. How easy is the process? It's as easy as one, two, three. Who are you? I'm the man who puts happy people in hot tubs. One, choose your hot tub at Happy Hot Tubs. Two, choose your accessories. And three, choose how you want to pay. With 0% finance available on selected tubs, we even accept American Express. You deserve happy. And at Happy Hot Tubs, it's as easy as one, two, three. Happyhottubs.co.uk Bobby Stokes. Hit well. Oh, he's there. Stokes has put Southampton in the lead. A great break there for Southampton. And they're all off that Southampton bench. Beating out to this near flank. What a back cross. It's the latest edition of Total Recall, this time in partnership with saintsworld.co.uk as we welcome an ex-saint who started his career at Blackburn Rovers and ended it at Accrington Stanley. Having started life as a gifted swimmer, indeed once being rated second in the country at 100 metres freestyle, sadly having to eventually stop after damaging his shoulder. He's a former professional footballer who played nearly 500 games and scored over 140 goals, including a memorable run of 10 goals in 10 games under Glenn Hoddle at Saints. It is, of course, James Beatty. James, thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Total Recall. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Um, look, before we get talking about the uh, football, just following up on the, the swimming briefly, I know many people know about your swimming background, but I was just, I guess, interested to, to sort of see how disappointed you were to have to give up at such an early age. Well, I, I suppose I was at, at that age, of, you know, 14, when, um, you know, your body starts changing. Uh, I, was, I was playing football in the schoolyard, um, and I've been doing it since I was about eight. So, 
the repetitiveness of it, um, even though I was good at it, looking back on it now, I was I was making, you know, a couple of excuses uh, when I got into the car with my mum and dad after school and stuff like that. Um, and they could see that I was, you know, maybe getting a little bit, not bored with it, but it was a little bit monotonous. And uh, and then football came along um, and then obviously the injury. And I think it was, you know, going to be about that time anyway, because I was I was concentrating on my schoolwork. It was going to be difficult to do the both of them. You know, that I think the injury just gave me, a, you know, maybe just a little bit of a nudge in the way of my schoolwork. Um, and, and I obviously enjoyed playing football, but the main uh, focus of mine at that point was, was my schoolwork uh, and, you know, getting good qualifications because of what my dad had, had, had done to, to send me through private education and um, and then sort of to repay him in a way. Uh, and then just started playing football for school and, you know, the rest is history. We had to make a big decision when Blackburn came in and, and said, uh, you know, they offered me a two-year YTS and a one-year pro. Um, and my dad, what I didn't know at that time, he used to negotiate on behalf of the union because he was a um, a truck driver and used right. to work for a brewery. Um, so he used to negotiate all the wages on behalf of all the truck drivers. <laughs> um, and he said, no, it's not it's not enough security for my son. I didn't know what was going on at that point, obviously. Um, and he managed to get me a, a one-year YTS, two-year pro with Blackburn and to be fair to him, he, he he left the decision to me. He said, it's up to you what you want to do. And uh, I read briefly, James, uh, somewhere that football was your third career choice. Is that right? So what was number two? Yeah, I wanted to go into medicine. There I wanted go. to go into medical school. I was good at school. Uh, I, you know, I put a lot of hard work into it, um, which is, you know, what whatever I'm doing, I tend to do that. Uh, follows on again from what my dad did. And... Yeah, the decision was a big one, actually, because I really wanted to go to do my A-levels and then go to uni. But I always thought of it. Um, my dad explained it really well. He said, you can always take this chance and see what happens. And then if it doesn't work out, you can always fall back on your schoolwork. But if you go with your schoolwork and you don't take that chance, you might always be wondering what if. Well, let's go on to the football then. You were part of the senior Blackburn squad, as you mentioned, between 96 and 98, just after Alan Shearer had signed for Newcastle. Um, despite him moving on, James, the club still had the likes of Chris Sutton, Kevin Gallagher, Pear Pedersen, players like that in attacking positions. You'd only make seven appearances before the move to Saints, which we'll talk about in a minute. From a Blackburn point of view, did you feel that you never really got a fair chance to prove yourself there? I don't know. I think somebody got injured um, the day before in Friday's training when I made my debut against Arsenal. Mm. And I'd done well through the youth teams and in the reserves and stuff like that. And I think people thought it would you know, have been a, a year or two till I made my debut. But I know I know, I was fondly thought of at Blackburn. But uh, I think one of the players that was playing in the first team got injured and I was called over and, and that was how, how my debut came about. But... Um, I mean, it was a baptism of fire playing against Arsenal with Adams and Keon. I remember I still speak to Martin Keon when I see him now, and you know he he, he was a great defender. And um, I remember we lost the game two nil, uh, and Ian Wright came up to me afterwards and said, "Keep playing like that, son, and you'll be all right." So that was a great moment for me. Obviously, someone like Ian Wright saying that, but yeah, I just uh, you know just kept kept working hard, and um, you know obviously the career went as it did. Yeah. Then in July 1998, then obviously Saints and Blackburn agreed on the, the transfer of Kevin Davis. That was the main sort of negotiation with you coming the other way as a fairly raw 20 year old. From your point of view, James, what do you remember about the move and how it all sort of came about from your side? 
Well, I, I remember it vividly. Um, I was playing, I'd, I'd done well in the season previous. So I'd, I'd, I played in the reserves um, and, it, and back then it used to be the A team. So that was that was the, the senior players that had been injured that were going to come back into the first team and get in game fitness. Um, obviously, the reserves was the reserve team and I'd done well. I had it planned out in my mind, you know, I'll, I'll get a few more appearances, get a few goals and then and then we can kick on with my career. Uh, and I was playing golf with a few mates that I've got in Blackburn, which was quite close to the start of pre-season. And I remember Tom Finn, who was the secretary at the time for Blackburn, he, he said, oh, we've sold you to Southampton. And I, I started crying. I remember it vividly, uh, you know, because Blackburn was my hometown team, supported yeah. them since I was seven. Um, grew up on, on the terraces in the Blackburn end and uh, and then get to play for your boyhood team was brilliant. Um, I knew that Dave Jones was the manager. so. Things moved really quickly at that point. I was on the south course within, you know, maybe the next day or something or the next couple of days. And I remember meeting Dave Jones. Now, when I was 15, when I was still at school, I used to train with Blackburn Rovers. Um, I don't know whether it was a youth team or something like that on a, on a Monday night. So I was 15 and these lads were 18. And one of them lads was Dave Jones's son. Right. And he was a centre half. And Dave used to go and watch. And he used to watch through the railings and it used to be on AstroTurf. And that's the first time that Dave told me this story. We met in Ennios down at the bottom of town. Yeah. I remember it so vividly. It was me and my dad and Dave. And he told me this story. He said, that's the first time I've seen you. And he said his son was 18 who, who played, you know, I can't remember to what level. But he said he used to come and just beat him up. <laughs> and he said, so when they got the offer of taking me, the Saints had already signed Stuart Ripley before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. He rang Stuart Ripley straight away and he said, Blabin are offering to take beats. What What do you think? And he said, take him like that. So yeah. that's how first, Dave Jones first seen me. Um, so he, he'd obviously, you know, kept an eye on me or whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was great. Dave was brilliant for me. He made me feel really welcome and, and, and planned out what he wanted me to do. I wasn't ready to go straight into the first team because obviously Tiz was there and Egel was there and so I, but yeah. from that moment when I, when I agreed to sign, I got it in my mind. Again, work hard, ease your way into the dressing room. I'm sure Tiz will tell you that that, that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, it takes me about five minutes to get used to new people. <laughs> um, but the lads in the dressing room were brilliant. Uh, you know, Tiz, Franny, mm. Dave Hughes, Oaksy, Kenny Moncow, Klaus. Richard Dryden, you know, they were, they were great with me and uh, settled in straight away and didn't really make my mark un- until November of, of that season. Uh, but as I say, was just working hard all the time to try and get in the team yeah. and then started playing in November and then ended up getting player of the year. Yeah, we'll come on to that in a minute. But yeah, Trigger, there's a blast from the past. Um, so I was going to ask about Dave. I mean, certainly from a fan's point of view, I know he went through an awful lot, but always came across as a very dignified and, and calm character. But just from from your point of view as well then, James, not only the, the Blackburn supporting, but I guess at that age as well, you know, you mentioned your dad, but moving pretty much from one end of the country to the other as well. So it wasn't like it was around the corner. So it was a really big move for you to make as an individual at 20 years old. It, it was. It was the first time I'd lived away from home. Um, and I remember I, I was put up in the Hilton. And again, one of the best things for me at that point was David Howells, who'd signed from Tottenham, yeah. was in there as well. And, you know, Howells is one of my best mates still today. And that four months was great for me because it was sort of me moving 
first time out of my parents' house. Um, but then I almost had an instant big brother in, in Dave Howells, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And then obviously the rest of the lads in the squad, which is, which you're seeing on a daily basis. Um, so I think that helped me a lot because Dave was so experienced. He, he was 30 at the time and, you know, he, he, t- he taught me a lot about not just about football, but about life and, and whatever. So it was, um, a set of circumstances that helped me settle in, you know, quicker than I probably would have done. Yeah. And just from the point of view of your first impressions of Saints as well, of course, you're coming from a, a club that's won the Premier League two or three years before that, you know, really, really flashy stadium as it was then. You know, you come into the Dow and Stapleford at that time was still predominantly porter cabins, wasn't it, and things like that. So what was your sort of impression of Saints when you arrived? Um, I loved it. Mm. It was great. I, I come from a working class background and football was football. And, and it was, it was, for me, it was all about the opportunity. Mm. Um, it didn't matter whether I'd come from where we used to live in Blackburn. There used to be a, a park on the back, a country park. That's where Blackburn used to train. Right. Until they got Brockhall. And I remember setting up us as young lads. We, we used to have to go down and set the nets up for the seniors to train. And, uh, they were public playing fields. Blackburn won the title when they were training on public playing fields. So we did make the transition and the move to a, a new a new training ground, which was due to the the owner back then, who was Jack Walker, who, who won Walker Steel. Um, so probably Blackburn were one of the first ones to get the you know the old singing, old dancing training grounds like players are accustomed to these yeah. days. <laughs> but going to Staplewood. Like like I've said, you know, when when I first went to the club, it, it was a very family orientated club. It was quite simple, you know, not nothing flashy. Mm. Uh, and I've said this about the team. There was no great individuals in the team. It was always about the team. Mm. Um, and and when we played as a team, as as you've seen over the years, we've got some tremendous results. So I, I settled in quite well. It's unrecognisable from the staple what we see these days. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you'd like to think you'd, you'd played a part in getting to the club where it is to, to be able to have them facilities, which is great. Absolutely. Look, we'll we'll come to the end of the 98-99 season because, as you mentioned there, it ended very well for you. But, you know, I was very lucky to see your entire career for Saints, you know, watching you week in, week out. And uh, as I was mentioning before, we started reminiscing about some of the moments, James, were incredible. But it didn't start particularly well because, uh, obviously, that season, Saints lost seven of their first eight games. The only point we got was at that Spurs uh, home game and one all when Matt scored. We only scored three goals in those first eight games as well. So you mentioned Kenny Moncow, you mentioned uh, Stuart Ripley, David Howes, David Hurst, players like that. I imagine that sort of having their experience around the change room at, at the start of a season like that was probably crucial yeah well you know we like to give teams a head start so we just <laughs> thought oh we'll let them get away a little bit but um for me as a young player going into into that situation it, it was it was quite worrying I suppose but like you say with the experience that we had within the squad um they were you know all older heads that, that had that experience and believed in in what we were trying to do um, I think we just leave it till the last minute and just make sure we stay up. <laughs> That's how it seemed. In Nothing's the, in, changed. In <laughs> yeah. But, um, again, it, it all adds to your experience and, and, it, and it enhances, you know, your resilience and your mentality towards, uh, you know, situations of adversity. Uh, I was I was accustomed to that. I was a resilient young man because of my swimming background and obviously my upbringing. But it, it was a bit of a, a, an eye opener that that first season. But like you said, we just knuckled down. We kept working hard. We believed in what we were doing. We believed in each other and believed in the team and the club. And 
not that you'd have it that way, but it, it's probably one of the most exciting seasons that I had. Yeah, and look, you scored your first Saints goal at Craven Cottage in September 1998 in that one-all uh, midweek cup game, but your first Premier League goal came in that 3-3 draw against Middlesbrough. So I imagine after all you've been through over those two, three years with Blackburn joining Saints, it must have been nice to finally get off the mark in the Premier League. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, I can remember it. I can remember the ball just looping up inside the, I think it was a six-yard box, and I thought, oh, this is coming to me. I just need to tap it in, and I think it hit my knee, my shin, <laughs> and the door. I went in, but I wasn't bothered. Yeah, um, yeah, relief. But then, obviously, you don't know what's coming in the coming years. But anything to just try and try and contribute to that situation we were in. That's the only we we were just thinking, you know, one game ahead and then the next game, and actually the game that you're playing in. So. Mm all about getting out of the trouble and, and making sure that we stayed in the Premier League. Yeah, and look, going right through to the end of the season then, um, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, we kind of fluttered with relegation until pretty much the last kick of that season, but you scored the uh, the wonderful goal against Leicester in that penultimate home game that we all remember after Franny picked you out. I was watching the, the replay again over the weekend. It definitely wasn't a cross, James, I don't think, was it? But uh, we obviously went up to Wimbledon. No. <laughs> we obviously went up to Wimbledon for that incredible um, Dalhurst Park match. I mean, I think there was 10, 11, 12,000 of us there. You got the first goal that day, nodding in the cross after Matty had come on as a sub. So, I mean, even sort of thinking about it, talking about it, gives me goosebumps. And I imagine for you, the player being involved in that and scoring the goal and just the atmosphere, it must bring back some great memories when you think about it. Most definitely. I think when you're in it, all you're doing is playing a game of football. You understand the gravity of the situation, but it's always afterwards when you get time to reflect on on things. And yes, we're we're a number of years down the line, but... Even at the end of that season, those moments you're talking about there with 10,000 Southampton fans wearing fezes, giving Hassan a, um, a tribute like that, mm. uh, e- even though we were in, you know, the trouble we was in. Um, and, and like you say, it was it was the last game against Everton, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the the Wimbledon game was was in fact another step. Mm. We needed to get that victory, um, and the support was again magnificent um i used to love the dell but like like you say we we took the dell up to sellers park um and everybody wearing the fezzes and then you know the introduction of tears and then he you know he puts one on my head and then he scores direct from a corner it's just yeah <laughs> which he said he meant obviously but uh yeah he used to do all time from corner <laughs> he was good enough <laughs> <laughs> um, look I mean you mentioned the Everton game um, you're right I mean we obviously went into that game there was still a chance that we could have gone down but Charlton I think it was that lost and we managed to win and in the end we were comfortably clear but Marion was obviously the hero that day of course he scored at both ends of the pitch but you played no small part in that by flicking on for the first one James and then whipping in that cross that we all remember for the second goal so I mean it was just in the end uh, you know another memorable day and a, a great way to end the season as a team yeah, most definitely. I think the signing of Marion by Dave was a masterstroke. Um, and I still speak to Marion now. We're still good friends. Uh, he, he was brilliant. He was brilliant. Still, still the only player I've ever seen sprint and be able to change 90 degree angle while still sprinting. Um, but you know, really made a name for himself and, and the season after. Mm. Um, but that ending was, like I say, it was probably, one of the most exciting, not not the situation you really want to be in, of course. But when you look back on it, and, and you you see how we got how we got out of the trouble, 
and the sort of solidarity and, and togetherness we showed, not not just the players but the the fans and everybody. Mm. That's that's what really makes it. You can you can get out of those situations if you stick together. No, absolutely. And from a personal point of view, you were voted Saints Player of the Season, as you mentioned. So that'd be the first of two times you'd get that accolade, and certainly great reward for your all-round contribution across '98 and '99. And I guess as the dust sort of settled, James, and you reflected on the goals and the assists and the award, did it feel like you'd proven to yourself, let alone anyone else, that you could become a successful Premier League player? Um, I always believed in myself. Um, I'm, I'm sure that if you speak to any of the players that you're <laughs> going to speak to or you've spoken to, I didn't lack self-confidence. But yeah, of course, you, you're moving into a, a league where you, you're unproven. I only ever wanted to prove to myself and, and to make me, my parents proud of me. That's, that's the only thing that drove me. You know, it wasn't about the, uh, the goals or anything like that. That didn't drive me. It was, it was making sure that I, as we've spoken about before, I gave football the, the opportunity, um, and I gave myself the opportunity to make sure that that decision that, you know, my dad and myself made, mm. Um, was was the right one, um, and to give it that justification was all that I was thinking about. I, I was highly highly driven, you know, highly ambitious, and I, I wanted to do well. And I can't really remember, but I would have thought I would have been thinking at that time. I don't really want to be in this position again. I want to be, you know, higher up the league with Southampton yeah. uh, and pushing for for honours. And and thankfully, in in the years to come, that nearly materialised. But at the right end of the table, not having everybody aged 10 years in five weeks. <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, look, in between that season finishing and your next Premier League goal for Saints, you'd suffer a few injuries. Saints would also change their manager as, of course, Glenn Hoddle came in to replace Dave. Um, what did you make of his arrival and how did you get on with him as a player, James? Because I was still young at that time. You know, Glenn Hoddle being your manager, you've seen him playing growing up and he was a brilliant coach. I think at, at Monaco, he, he was like... The, the coaches that we have now, like Guardiola and Klopp, he, he was of that ilk mm. back then. So I think if he'd have had the sort of personality that he, he, he wishes himself that he would have had, he would have been, you know, one of the world's best, I think. Mm. Um, but me personally, um, it was quite difficult for me, actually, because he said some things to me that I just said, right, OK. Um, and I think he'd said, you know, we, we we're going to sell you to Crystal Palace. Right. And I remember there was some quotes in the paper from Simon Jordan, which, um, again, weren't very helpful to anybody. But mm. I think Glenn didn't believe that I was going to be a Premier League footballer. And he said, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to sell you to Crystal Palace. I said, no, you're not. I said, I'm going to stay and I'm going to prove myself to you. And then about two or three months later, I got in the team and went on that run with the tenant that you mentioned at the start. He did, and I'm just about to mention it again. Yeah, so starting away to Chelsea on the 4th of November and ending against Derby County on the 30th of December, you went on, uh, as you say, that incredible run of 10 goals in 10 games, but actually scoring at least once in eight of those matches as well. And, uh, yeah, I remember all of us turning up to the Dow every week expecting you to score, I think. But, you know, if that wasn't impressive enough, I think it was nearly 18 months since your previous goal, so it was, you know, an incredible run. But, you know, what did you put it down to? Because, I mean, the goals were sort of flying in from every angle. It was just a bit of a... A hot streak, or did you know it had sort of been coming for a while? Could you kind of feel it as footballers sometimes do? Um, I don't know. I suppose in a way, even even though Glenn's words weren't appreciated at the time, I, I think maybe I have to thank him now. Uh, not that I didn't have the self confidence. I think, like you said about the injuries, I mean, you never play a game hundred percent fit. I, I think if you speak to anybody, they'd, they'd admit that. Um, and I wasn't one to 
not play if I had a scratch or a, you know, I mean, one of my fingernails were bent or something <laughs> like that. So I, I, I would have, you know, I would have played. Um, but the injuries that I sustained were, were obviously injuries that were going to keep me out. So getting your full fitness back and having that drive to get in the team once again and, and prove yourself to a new manager uh, was probably the, the catalyst behind that. And look, your last goal at the Dow came in uh, February 2001 versus Bradford City, but you were part of the final Premier League fixture there when uh, Arsenal were beaten 3-2 and Matt, of course, got that last-minute winner. Um, when he was on Total Recall a few weeks back, he was telling us about how fast he ran off to celebrate because of all the adrenaline and despite the fact that he'd been unfit for most of the season beats you, I think he suggested you struggled to keep up with him for uh, the uh, celebration. But uh, again, an incredible game to be involved in and you know something that I think all of us will look back on and uh, again carry with us for the rest of our lives, just the whole experience and those final moments yeah I think there's only one person could have scored that goal I bet he didn't mention the assist though did he <laughs> he didn't no. <laughs> to the box. Nah, these goal scorers they never mention anybody else do they? Um, I can guarantee I didn't ever struggle to keep up with Sis <laughs> but um, like you say the memory and, and people taking the seats and the turf and it was great I would assume that we were in a comfortable position, which is yeah. obviously what was in the ambitions, you know, a few <laughs> years previous. Um, but, yeah, I don't think anybody could have finished that goal either from where it dropped um, with the ability that Tiz had. We all know about his goals and that, but mm. it's unfinished that. To turn on the half volley with you was the wrong foot. Then yeah. I think I read somewhere this week that he, he scored the first goal in the Premier League and the last one at the Dell. All right. Yeah, when Southampton went into the Premier League, he scored the first goal and then he scored the last one, like you say, against uh, against that. Yeah, no, excellent. And uh, look, just to finish at the at the Dell then, um, just before we move on to some areas in life, uh, you know, obviously got a lot better for you in terms of goals as well. Um, I just wanted to focus briefly on England, James, because I remember being at the Dow in March 99, you played in the under-21s uh, in that 5-0 win. And, you know, I wrote down here that the City, we kind of didn't have much England international recognition then because obviously Matt wasn't getting much game time. And I remember the whole City kind of being proud that you were involved in that game and a game that was at the Dow and all of us turning up um, you'd eventually go on to make five senior appearances for England as well um, although quite rightly so in my view is saying you didn't think you were really given a fair chance by England when you look at your Premier League goals during that period 23 and 38 during 2002-03 which was uh, obviously the highest English goal scorer in the Premier League that season 14 and 37 in 2003-04 so 37 and 75 overall James basically one in every two so I guess it's hard to argue about the sort of lack of England opportunities thing right? When I got into the England squad, I was filming something called the Free Lions. It was when all the the stuff about the players striking came out, and I remember Gary Neville and and Beckham were were heading up this meeting. I think I went back to my bedroom and did something to camera, um, and I think they aired that, and then I I never played for England again. There we go. We'll leave it there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that that was um, was accepted because I, I didn't. I didn't think that I was doing anything wrong or, or my views were, were invalid, but obviously maybe somebody else had a different opinion. Yeah. All right. Well, just before we go on to some uh, sort of more specific questions, I thought we'd try and rattle through um, some quick fire ones. So uh, I came up with a, a quick fire round called Beat the Clock, uh, even though there isn't a clock, but there is a beat. So we're halfway there. So I've been spending days on this, James. Um, but uh, basically, one or, two... <laughs> um, one or two word answers, uh, fairly simple questions. Um Best two players you played with during your time at Saints? I said two because I knew Tiz would probably be one of them. Yeah, Tiz and... Oh, can I not have three? All right, three, of course. Tiz marrying Kev Phillips. Your hardest opponent? 
I'm not sure if you've mentioned him already. Sol Campbell. Sol Campbell, there you go. Your best mate at Saints? Uh, Oxley. Who was the biggest joker? And I was thinking it was probably you here. Biggest joker? Mazza. Yeah, Chris Marsden. Yeah. Was he? There you go. He was a real joker. <laughs> um, <laughs> who was the biggest moaner? Moaner, Klaus. <laughs> Apart from the various managers, which player always liked to have the final word in the changing room? Uh, Carlton Palmer. Oh yeah, that's yeah. There's a blast from the past. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, James, score a hat trick against Pompey at Fratton Park in a comfortable victory, obviously, or win the Premier League Golden Boot. There's probably two right answers there. Oh god, that's a hard <laughs> one, isn't it? Well, you said comfortable victory, so we've already run anyway, haven't we? <laughs> There you go. Premier League Golden Boot it is then. Brilliant. All right. Cool. All right. Well, just before we move on, it feels like the perfect moment to plug something that Robbie at Saints World has been working on, which will be coming out in the not too distant future. Supported by the likes of James, Matt Letizier and some other aligned friends, I understand it will be a very special offering for a very special saintly someone. I'll leave it there before I say too much, but watch this space and make sure you're following Saints World on Twitter, Facebook, etc. to find out more. Right, we're into the closing stages, James. Um, As we mentioned, in August 2001, Saints moved to St Mary's and it took uh, a while for the team to settle there. Our first home win not coming, of course, until the end of November when, uh, a little like that Everton game, another assist from James Beattie as Marion heads home the winner. Why do you think the team initially struggled to adapt to life at St Mary's after the Dell? I don't know. I think it was that Portsmouth shirt under the centre spot, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> and then we got the uh, we got the witch in, and she uh, sorted that out, and then yeah. we started winning. <laughs> so that's what it was. Yeah. Just yeah, just the door was great. Mm. You know, really compact ground. I'm sure you'll agree. It got us a few results over the years, and that was our home. Yeah. Um, but as as the times move on, and, and we needed a bigger stadium, mm. um, I just think it t- took us a while to adapt. Um. It's all well and good moving into these nice shiny stadiums, isn't it? But it's a, it's a totally different surrounding than what we're used to. And I'm not making any excuses. I'm sure that the fans took a while to get used to it as well because we weren't winning. Yeah. But I bet half of them, you know, were saying, "Oh, I wish we were still at Adele," and, and we did too, believe me. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it was just a, a while to get used to it. And and like you say, when we when we started winning and we settled in and we we didn't look back really. Yeah, and look, as you say, settle we would, and life would obviously get a lot better under Gordon Strachan as uh, results improved dramatically over the coming months and seasons. Of course, we'd reached the FA Cup final in May 2003 after that wonderful run to Cardiff. Um, arguably, most of us look back on that amazing semi-final win at Villa Park and the unbelievable atmosphere. You only being denied the winning goal, of course, by an OG, although I think we'll all agree, and I was watching it again, I'm sure the replays are fairly inconclusive there, James. But uh, Yeah, it, was, it wasn't high def then, was it? So, <laughs> it, wasn't, I mean, it, was all, it was all a bit of a scramble on the goal line, wasn't it? <laughs> Um, but the ride throughout the cup run must have been brilliant to be involved in. As you say, the pressure was kind of off in the league because we finished eighth that season as well. So it just kind of reiterated how high confidence was. Yeah, as I said before, we clicked. We were a very good team. There was no egos in the in the changing room. There was big characters, but we all had one specific mission, which was doing the best for the club hmm. um, under great leadership from Gordon. Um, again, somebody I still speak to today for advice. Uh he was a brilliant manager for me. I know 
you know, everybody's got their own opinion, but uh, he really knew how to get the best out of me. There was always respect for any any manager that I had. He'd never ask you to do something that he wouldn't be prepared to do himself. Mm. You know, he, he found time to take the mickey out of himself, but you always knew where the line was. And if you stepped over that line, then you, you know, you'd be on the uh, the wrong end of a, a deserved tongue lashing. Yeah. I found a great quote. Obviously, there was many great Gordon Strachan quotes, but the one about you in England where the reporter asked if James Beattie should get a call-up for England, he said he didn't care because he was Scottish. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> Typical Gordon. Uh, my favourite one ever is when he said, oh, Gordon, the uh, reporter asked him, Gordon, can I have a quick word? He went, velocity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dear, dear. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, and as we mentioned earlier, when you look back at that 2002-03 season, um, it was unbelievable for you. I mean, the top of the Premier League goal charts reads as Reed van Nistelrooy, Manchester United, 25 goals, Thierry Henry, Arsenal, 24 goals, James Beattie, Southampton, 23 goals. I mean, the highest scoring Englishman, as I mentioned, ahead of Owen and Shearer. And not only did you have your 10 and 10 run under Hoddle, but when I was looking back through the stats, you had 11 goals in eight games during that, including that hat trick against Fulham. And also, you know, I think just reiterated that you were in a, a fine run of form. So, I mean, what was it? that clicked for you that season a bit of maturity just a bit more nous to the way you were playing or I think everything really having a, a good coach yeah. um, maturing in my game understanding the game uh, a bit more again I think you'll see a lot of them goals were were off confidence mm. um, which strikers talk about a lot Brett was a great foil for me probably have to say as well that we were the fittest team in the league uh, and a lot of them goals, not mine necessarily, but the team's goals. We used to we used to grind teams down, and we used to be so fit we could keep going for ninety minutes. Mm. Um, and a lot of them goals were probably in the last fifteen twenty minutes mm. of, of games where we got a success, being solid at the back. Knowing for a fact, if you if you ever one of the players ever went out of position, then one of your teammates was going to fill in for you. Uh, again, you know that comes from the coaching side and from within the within the team. Mm. We just had a good understanding of each other. All right, yeah, I, I, I was scoring the goals, but I, I appreciated every single one of my teammates because without them, you don't get the opportunities. Mm. Um, and I think that that went through the whole squad, not just the team, but the whole squad. And, and that comes from, you know, good leadership and having good good people within your team. I'm sure that, that Gordon will agree or any manager would agree that you give a good leadership and then you have good people within your team that understand what, what the game's all about, then you, you're going to get success. Just sort of finally on that point, I mean, the beauty from your point of view as well, James, I mean, you know, you see players like Danny Ings, who we've obviously got at the moment, you know, great in and around the box. But from you, it was, you know, we all remember that goal from miles out of Sunderland, you know, the headers, the goals in the box. I mean, you were sort of scoring goals from here, there and everywhere, you know, in the nicest way, not a one-trick pony. There was obviously so much to your game. Yeah, and as I said, it, it all comes from the the way the manager wanted us to play, the strengths that the players that we had delivered. Um, like you say, numerous crosses, playing up front in a two with Brett, who never stopped running and harassing people. Um, even though I got the goals, I think the the player that got marked doubly was was Brett mm. because he was doing so much work, and you know, not that I wasn't, and everybody in the team was, but. That season, everything just clicked. Um, we had a great goalkeeper in Ante. Mm. Uh, you know, solid defence, really industrious midfield. We knew what what shape we were playing, and we knew how to hurt teams. There was just clarity within the team. The instructions that we had, we got on great as teammates. We were serious. 
when we needed to be serious, which was obviously the football side of it and the training side of it, but socially as well, we got on brilliantly. Mm. And I think that goes to show with how many lads I'm still in touch with now. Yeah. And just finally on Gordon, because I, I, I think it was interesting, you know, we're all aware that he's obviously someone that has this uh, renowned reputation for being shouty, screamy, that sort of thing. I mean, obviously there would have been moments in the change room, I imagine, where things weren't going so well and he was like that. But can he have sort of both sides of uh, the emotions, you know, particularly with players? Yeah, he was great. He was never grumpy. It was on I think he was just a big character. Yeah. Um, and, and obviously he had his own image that he wanted to portray to the to the media and to the outside world but to us lot he was he he used to take the mickey out of himself and he'd join in the five sides and he was just you know really self-confident and as I say for me a a brilliant manager he gave real good clarity in what he wanted you to do um, you knew where the line was and, and there was always respect for him. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, just uh, before we move on to um, a handful of questions that some of uh, Robbie Saintswell members have sent in, I wanted to end with something that I know will make Saints fans smile, and that's you scoring goals against Pompey. Um, look, in the league, you scored the uh, the third goal in that 3-0 um, win in December 2003 after Dodsey's corner gone straight in. Marin scored that wonderful second. Um, a couple of weeks before that, you scored both the goals, of course, in the League Cup, the first being remembered by all, all of us because of your uh, I can't hear them can you hear yeah I've got James on camera he's doing the action right now but uh, look I mean I think surely you know that you can walk around Southampton for years and years to come and you'll always be a hero just for A scoring the goals and B the celebration yeah it's nice I'm I'm just uh, I could never go to Portsmouth (laughs) not that I want to but you know it is nice it it was a real privilege to play for the club you know I'm, I'm quite a humble guy and I've got a family of my own now so I understand football because I was a football fan before I, I started playing. I know what the fans want. And if anybody gives 100% for the shirt, then if things don't come off for you or you don't play the best, then if you give 100% for the for the badge, because that's, you know, that's who they support. And, um, you know, that's a given. It was for me anyway. But it's, um, it's nice to have a great affinity with the fans. You know, I still get stopped in the street in Southampton for pictures and what selfies nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> And uh, and it, it's great in the future, you know, you'd hopefully be able to give them something back. Brilliant. All right. Well, as I say, let's uh, get some questions from uh, Saints World followers. So Robbie sent these across to me. So um, Jason Payne, James, he asked, who was your favourite strike partner in Saints and why? But you may have answered that already. I liked them all for different reasons. I give I give Brett a special mention for um, 2002-2003 because... I think that that's you know it's the right thing to do and 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 Brett's a great lad. We're both from up north. Mm. He's from Great Howard. I'm from Cherry Tree in Blackburn. And um, so to to take two diverse sort of careers and then meet on the south coast was was quite. Um, but I already knew Brett anyway. So I think playing with Marion was amazing. We we had a great partnership. Mm. Unfortunately, his ankle injury you know finished his careers. Kev Phillips was another great strike partner. He, he'd got the golden boot. I was trying to get it. I remember that last game, actually, at Main Road. So it was actually the last game at Main Road, That's wasn't it. it? Swenson scored. Michael scored. And yeah. uh, I can remember, I think we were all... No, I was on I was on 23. And they were both on 22, I think. Van Nistelrooy and Henri. Yeah, yeah. And I was shooting from everywhere. <laughs> and I remember... <laughs> I remember getting it and, and thinking, I'm never going to score from here. But I probably thought that at Sunderland, but <laughs> just shooting. And I remember the lads, 
they started off and it was not that the game didn't mean anything, but they wanted to win, obviously. Mm. But they started off having a little bit of a, a chuckle about it and that, and then they started getting really annoyed, oh, yeah. <laughs> started, like calling them names and that. And I think I can remember Klaus having a proper go at me, like running from <laughs> centre right up the field and saying, "What are you doing? We want to win this game." Um, but I, yeah, I just remember that. Um, yeah, them three stand out. It was just good lads all over the place within the dressing room. Uh, Matt Bishop, and that's why I've not necessarily brought any of them up so far, because I didn't want to steal Matt's thunder, but he said you scored some screamers for St. James. Which is your favourite ever goal and why? Um, I've got my favourite set piece, and then I've got my favourite goal. I think my favourite goal is probably the r Folly against West Brom. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, at home that was, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah and then the free kick. At Chelsea. Yes, that's the one I got here for me, James. I remember I put one that always sticks yeah. in my mind. That was free kick against Chelsea on New Year's Day, early doors. De Hoy nowhere near it. Absolutely nowhere. What nah. is he waving at? <laughs> that doesn't even get in the best, like the best free kicks in in the Premier League, yeah. and, and I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> but, anyway. Yeah. Well, I tell you, if it if it had been scored by Man United or something, James, I bet it would have been. But uh, there we go. So that's your best two. Brilliant. All right. Um. Fred Flynn says, in hindsight, a little controversial question here, in hindsight, do you still feel like the Everton move was a good one or not? Well, I didn't have any choice in that, contrary to popular belief. So Harry came in and he said, I need to sell you to get three players in. There you go. There you go. All right. Um, Norman Bainbridge said, who was your footballing idol when you were a lad? A guy called Simon Garner, who's record goal scorer for Blackburn. Yeah. He was the he was the first one, and then obviously she, when Shearer came. Yeah. Well, actually, there was Simon Garner, then David Speedy. Do you remember him? Yeah, he played for us as well. Yeah, Speedy and Dixon. Yeah. Yeah, and then and then Shearer. Three pretty good idols. Oh, he, he was just a. That was the best three million quid Saints ever made without a salon clause on it. But uh, there we go. Yeah, um, well, yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't happen now. Would it? <laughs> um, Kevin Stockwell said, "What do you feel was your best footballing moment in a Saints shirt?" In a Saints shirt, oh god, I'm making my England debut would be, but <sighs> one of them wins under the lights. You know, the three-two against Arsenal or or something like that. Um, I would have loved to have brought more success to the club not just individually but with the help of the team I think that final was I was about the yard offside one mm. uh, it would have been 1-0 there was so much nostalgia surrounding the game with with it being 25 years later wearing the same kit all that sort of stuff yeah um and then and then we go and lose it but yeah one of the big wins um the ear cupping is a good moment for me being in front of the fans and that and getting so much abuse from the Pompey fans which <laughs> which they actually think affects me yeah. but it actually makes you play try and play even better than you're trying already just don't get it sometimes um, but that depends on the player but yeah just being a, a part of the club really even going back like looking looking back on the the great escape that game against uh, Everton on the last day when Marion scored two yeah and seeing the joy in the fans' faces, albeit for the right reason, but maybe not in the right situation, um, was tremendous. Yeah, it does feel incredible when you think, uh, you know, it's like 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. to think that I was 17, 18 then, it's just, yeah, I don't know where the time's gone. But uh, there we go. Um, look, Robbie wanted to ask a question himself. So he said, would you ever consider a coaching role at Saints should the opportunity arise? If the opportunity arose, then yeah, I would do. Of course I would. 
Final question for me, James, kind of leads on to that, because we know you've obviously worked with Gary at Birmingham and Leeds and Middlesbrough. You, of course, had that brief stint at Accrington Stanley as manager as well. So in terms of you and your own view alongside the coaching, I mean, have you got any desire to do club management in the future or are you kind of enjoying your other involvement in football? Uh, yeah, I will. I will do. I took the, the job at Accrington um, and I knew I needed to get better at coaching. So I've had seven years at coaching now, but management is something that I will do again in the future, yeah, yeah. for sure. Brilliant. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. I could genuinely keep uh, going for hours and hours. I apologise to anyone that's listening if I missed something out that they'd hoped we'd discuss with James. I decided in the end that five pages was more than enough. But, James, I mean, just to finish, it was an absolute pleasure watching your Saints career from start to finish. And it's been brilliant reminiscing about it through the prep of the past week and chatting to you now. So thank you for all of the great goals and memories you gave us and for still keeping in and around the club. Yeah, you're welcome. It's been a pleasure for me to do it. And thanks for having me on. That's been Total Recall with former Saints and England striker James Beattie in partnership with Saints World. Well, a massive thank you again to James for joining us. I've got to say, having done a lot of Total Recalls now and been very lucky enough to speak to some brilliant ex-Saints, that may well be one of my absolute favourite ones. James is just a really good guy to get along with and uh, you know, very grateful again for his time. As I mentioned at the start, if you're not already following Saints World, then please do. Um, Saintsworld.co.uk, Saints World on Facebook and at Saints World FC, Foxtrot Charlie, Saints World FC on Twitter. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We're going to be back next week for another Total Recall when we're going to be joined by Neil Madison. Will from Saints Archive and myself caught up with him recently as well and uh, Neil talks about some fantastic memories from his time at Saints. As always, have a good week. Keep safe, keep well and keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.